518-906-1820. That's 518-906-1820. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Well, hi, everyone. This is Becky Davidson. I am the chair of the Environmental Access Committee for ACB and my co-host, Sheila Styron, who is the chair of ACB's Transportation Committee. And we'd like to welcome you to our little forum tonight. Um, I want to thank and acknowledge our hosts, Sheila Young and Debbie Hazelton from ACB Radio. And uh, I, you guys are awesome. Um, all of the th- things that have happened this year and the technology that it involves and, and all of that is just amazing. Um, and you do a fabulous job and we appreciate it so that we have an opportunity to connect with people. Um, we're going to focus tonight on this past few days, the legislative seminar, transportation and environmental access related topics. And primarily, we're going to start off with talking about the Disability Access to Transportation Act, which is part of the FAST Act. And I'm going to turn it over to my co-host, Sheila Styron, to talk about that a little bit. And then we will start talking about questions and comments. Hi, everybody. Becky just said something very key. Uh, we, we have two um, acts that we are rolling into one that ACB wants us to talk about with our legislators this year. And uh, maybe you've heard people talking about the DATA Act, that is the Disability Access to Transportation Act. And that deals with more of our specifically disabilities-related Transportation Act. Um, there is a larger overarching uh, Transportation Act that was supposed to be reauthorized by Congress last year. And because of everything going on in this crazy world we're all inhabiting, um, it will be reauthorized this fall instead. And that one also has a fancy name or a cutesy name. It is the FAST Act. And that is Fixing America's Surface Transportation. And as you might just imagine that sort of covers everything. It's it's the money for infrastructure, for railroads, for roads, for highways, for uh, transportation, public transportation. And um, so what we are trying to do is we want to get the Data Act um, rolled into this larger Transportation Act. And um, what... Um, what it's going to do, I'll just give you a few of these that, that it will, you know, in case somebody wants to know and you want to know why they should do it. Um, what it's going to do is it's going to create a more flexibility in transportation services, um, it's, which will increase our independence and um, our economic opportunities. And um, it, it will also lead to increased accessibility for pedestrian infrastructure and it's going to modernize the u.s department of transportation's complaint process for us um and if you have representatives who are interested in doing this um, you want to tell them to um, contact Catherine Lee, who is in the office of Representative Langevin, 
Democrat in Rhode Island. And um, just want to um, go a little bit more into what the FAST Act will do in the areas I just mentioned. There will be a five-year paratransit pilot that um, will allow for making a stop during your trip. And the categories they're talking about, I have a question, I'm going to ask Clark. If you have any questions, you can try asking us, but for sure ask Clark. Um, but the, the um, categories that they're talking about making it possible for us to include in a paratransit stop would be child care, groceries, pharmacy, and financial institutions. And I'm wondering, um, well, I guess work would be the main trip. I just answered my own question. <laughs> I guess it wouldn't be the same trip if you stopped to work for eight hours, so never mind. <laughs> um, so we're going to also be asking um, the access board to create um, guidelines for minimum standards for pedestrian facilities in the public rights of way. Um, and I imagine many of you have heard the word PROAG. Well, PROAG stands for Pedestrian Rights of Way uh, accessibility guidelines. And these are some standards that the Access Board came up with many years ago, even before the 45th presidential administration. And they haven't been approved yet. They haven't been adopted by um, the Department of Transportation. So we're once again asking for this to become something that you know, they, they take seriously and finally, because it's fine for us to say we need accessible pedestrian signals, but, you know, if it's not actually encoded, you know, and it's not regulated, it's not a regulatory ruling yet, then, you know, we're still waiting for that to happen. And then again, it would be more access for filing the paratransit complaints with DOT. And then there's also an accessibility pilot to assist local communities in identifying gaps in transportation um, to improve service for uh, our population, low-income transportation users, and minority populations, and I've already said the disabled. And then the final thing I want to mention, so that I, and I hope this is all making some sense. We'll try to answer questions and we'll make sure they get answered. Um, it will also cause for increased 5310 funding. Now, if any of you ever attend meetings like through your local metropolitan planning organizations who usually um, hold the purse strings to a lot of funding for a lot of things in our communities and transportation is one of them. Well, 53 funding is pretty specifically for transportation for seniors and for people with disabilities. And it isn't the paratransit, it's not that big piece. It's funding for smaller organizations like the um, the whole person where I work, we have a transportation program and we have vans and drivers and we uh, use Medicaid funding and uh, we apply for 5310 funding to get people to 
medical appointments and other appointments as well. And all kinds of organizations around your area probably also try to get their share of 5310 funding. Um, so um, I'll just a reminder, we might remind you again, if you have questions that we are unable to answer or you have questions that come up in the future, um, there is that great um, email address, advocacy at acb.org. So thank you for your attention, and I'll turn it back to Becky. Hey there. Um, for those of you who are still thinking about what agencies in your local area might have this, this funding for transportation, I know our local association for the blind here in Charlotte does. Sometimes offices for the aging, when you live in an area that has one, also get that kind of funding. So it's it's fairly available. You just have to, they don't publicize it a lot, it doesn't appear. I guess they don't want to get overwhelmed. Um, in addition to the um, the Data Act, there were some interesting things that might have brought up some questions during the legislative seminar. Um, the transportation sessions, both on autonomous vehicles and airline rules, um, and that one probably has a lot of questions, um, you know, were excellent. Sheila was hosting the airline, part of the airline one. Um, and then I was, I don't know how many of you heard heard him, but I was interested to hear the gentleman who is now the executive director for the U.S. Access Board. I believe he was on Tuesday um, at lunchtime. And he was pretty interesting talking about the Access Board. It's kind of a mystery sometimes because it's not something that you hear a lot about. So what we're going to do is I, I'm just curious, well, Sheila, can, how many folks, Sheila, Sheila one, how many folks do we have on the call so far, do you think? I'm sorry, I was muted as a good host should be. <laughs> <laughs> you can ask questions if you want. Um, um, you have 26 that okay. are in your meeting currently and you do have a hand raised. Okay. So let's, uh, let would me you just like say, him to ask his question or? Well, just a couple of things before we, we open it up to questions. Okay. Um, first of all, raising of hands. I think most people probably know how to do that, but do you want to review that quickly, Sheila? Absolutely. I'd be happy to. Um, if you're on a PC, to raise your hand is Alt-Y. If you're on a Mac, it's Option-Y. If you're on an app, on a smartphone, it is on your screen. And if you're on a landline, it is star nine. And everybody's got the mute stuff figured out, right? Well, I hope so. That's right. Well, <laughs> oh, and if you're in kindergarten, you really just raise your hand. That's right. If you're, if you're, if you're <laughs> and, and the teacher calls on you. Yes, we'll call on you. And if, if I see they're on a computer, I can help them if they need help. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I noticed during the... Yeah, we, we hope there's nobody at home screaming on mute. I'm raising my hand. I'm raising my hand. <laughs> yeah. I'm in a silly mood tonight. I apologize. That's okay. We all well, need silly right now. serious stuff, but we've had a lot of yeah, serious... Stuff. I have to make up for all the serious stuff I just talked about. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Uh, so um, I'm curious to know, first of all, and you won't have to unmute to do this, if, if any of you have actually had a chance to speak to legislators yet. If you have, raise your hand. I know I have. I haven't. My <laughs> I haven't hand. had time to. I, I, got, I got four hands raised. Oh, 
Good. Yay. Congratulations, you guys. I have meetings pending from people who said next month. Yeah. Um, Really, how hard can it be? Um, Okay. Since we have a hand raised, um, let's go ahead and call on that person. Bob? Conversation. Well, now we know which one it was. <laughs> yeah, so, hey, I, I know who it was, okay? Bob, <laughs> you does. may go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So I have a couple of questions. Um, number one was... Um, I, I unfortunately didn't get to attend any of the uh, any of the sessions, but um, did was there any discussion uh, number one regarding autonomous vehicles? Um, my biggest concern with autonomous vehicles is I've been in several situations when I've taken Uber or Lyft where we pull into a we pull into a big business park and. I don't quite know how, or, you know, I kind of know how to describe to the driver which building I need to be in, but how do I communicate that to a self-driving car? Is, has, was there any discussion about that? And the other question I have with which uh, regards to um, the all the pilot programs with paratransit, um, is there going to be any sort of um, mechanism in place to allow people who may not live in the boundaries of one jurisdiction to take advantage of some of these more inclusive options. For example, I lived, I used to live in Snohomish County and um, the paratransit system there was very traditional and did not have, it wasn't even looking at any of these opportunities, you know, any of these pilot prop. Uh, programs with Uber and Lyft or taxis or whatever, but you cross the line into King County and they were running a small pilot with Uber. So is there going to be any mechanism for us cross County folks that go into King County, take advantage of this stuff? Becky, Hmm. um, do you have, I I, I can address some of the paratransit. Do you have any, any wisdom on that interesting autonomous vehicle question? That's fascinating. And I don't have a clue. What there were, I I only, I heard most of it. I missed the beginning of it, but um, my understanding is that the GPS type uh, equipment with like when you plug in the address that you want to go to and if you're going into a big business park you probably will have a suite number or a building number or something like that um, that you would put that specific information in in there and then I mean they were talking about having different apps that you could use on your phone with the vehicle for the purpose of wayfinding or that type of um, technology and I think there's still a lot of there's still a lot of question about that. I'm sure if Ron Brooks, Brooks were here, he would be able to give you more specific answers. I don't know if there's anyone on the call that has more technical information about that than I do. If you do, raise your hand. Um, and in and- the meantime, I guess I'll just go ahead with some of the... We've been talking about this issue with paratransit for a long time, including you know as, as far back as people 
you know, not understanding about why these guidelines were even established. And I think everybody in the industry understands this. It's not a specific provision that we're talking about um, in writing in stone at this point in time with the reauthorization uh, and the re- you know introduction of the, the Data Act. However, everybody's talking about it. Everybody knows that the main reason the the this whole three quarters of a mile um, from a fixed route bus line is becoming antiquated before our very eyes because there are going to be less and less regular buses and regular bus routes moving forward. There's going to be much more of these um, mini transportation uh, um, opportunities and options that uh, we're going to be, you know, plugging into so many cities now, more and more cities have, you know, uh, like you said, in King County, where we've got taxis doing paratransit in Kansas City, and they are no longer, um, you know, following those strict guidelines of where the bus route is. And it's, it's going to be changing. But in terms of getting it scratched out of where it's written in stone, I don't know when that's going to happen. But a lot of people, these are guidelines that people don't have to go beyond, but people are allowed to do better than those guidelines. And I think many jurisdictions are experimenting with doing things that provide better service and are blurring those lines. And Becky and Sheila, you do have several hands raised that might be able to. Oh, let's let them go for it. Yeah. All righty then. All right. So Renee. You may unmute. Hi, this is Renee. Can you hear me? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah um, in regards to the autonomous vehicles, um, I know when I was listening to the, speak- the presenters talk, it's obvious that they, you know, from their presentations, they're taking into account a lot of the needs of people who are blind and low vision when they're talking about security and making sure you're getting in the correct vehicle. And then That's also from my, from my personal experience, um, where I used to work, we did some very in-depth um, studies, uh, and I was one of the people that they did, where they spent four hours at my house with a videographer and a whole crew of people walking through transportation with me as the person with low vision. And what what do you do next? What do you do next? What do you expect next? What would you like to know here? They're, they are looking at these things. I don't know if they have it all figured out, but I know that these things are being taken into consideration. Um, so hopefully they will. And this was years ago that I did this. So uh, hopefully that these things are all be worked out. But these are all things that they were definitely looking at. I didn't hear anybody address that specific issue. Maybe somebody else did. But I do know some of the things that they did point out were very important to me as a person who has no vision. And her focus was pretty strong about, of course, that that we were their audience, so one would hope that they would be focusing on that. But um, they really were focusing pretty strongly on making sure that whatever technology was available was going to be fully accessible. And, um, you know, there were some interesting questions, but I don't... Um, well, you know, going back to Bob's question, I mean, it, it was kind of making me chuckle because I was thinking of all the times that I look at one of my smart speakers and I ask it to do something. And it's like, 
you know, the old Star Trek thing does not compute. You know, it's, it's like, it's like, I really could see that being, you know, there's going to be, there are going to be so many scenarios. Uh, you know, Bob's question is just brilliant because you can plan for everything, but there's always going to be some weird building around a weird corner. And there's, and will these cars know enough? to like a stray dog to walk up to a human and say, help me. I don't know where I need to house. You know? Are they willing to ask for directions? Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, you know, when you're with, with, uh, you know, a paratransit driver, they don't know what's going on and maybe they're not very smart or maybe it really is a difficult situation as a person who's blind. It's really hard for me to say, otherwise I'd be driving myself there, but you know, very often I will, you know, encourage them to find somebody and ask for directions. I've done so that. I think that's a really team. interesting scenario. So too. The other <laughs> All one right. Is, Your next question is from Patrick. Uh, Sheehan, and I'll bet he's got an answer. We'll see. <laughs> hey, Pat. While he's unmuting, one of the questions that, that I thought was fascinating yeah, I, with the autonomous vehicle thing was, Somebody asked about what happens if you're in a wheelchair and you want to go someplace and you don't have someone with you. How can you safely stow your wheelchair or, or you know, and get yourself into the vehicle? And and they didn't really have a, an answer for that one quite yet. Guys, another good one. This is Pat. I got the two Sheilas. How are you? It's hey. great to hear your voices. So. Um, one thing that I could recommend Bob to do, which I found fascinating, there was a conference in December, Site Global, and one of the presentations was by Waymo, and I had not heard of that before, but it was a, a, the, the entire conference, and there must have been about 30 presentations, had to deal with uh, artificial intelligence. So when you get on that vehicle, that vehicle, either because you have a smart card that will indicate what your disability is, it will know that you will need assistance in locating that door, give you verbal instructions on... on oh, it was fascinating. The, I listened to some oh of that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> exactly right. As a matter of fact, I was in... I was in um, um, uh, where was it? Others, um, right outside Washington. And they had this vehicle, a smart vehicle. They gave me a card. And as I walked onto the vehicle, it was able to let me know which seats were empty and which seats were open because it had a haptic sense that would make it feel like there was a door in front of the seat if somebody was there and open if it wasn't. So artificial intelligence is going to do an awful lot to help us get to that door to tell us where we're going, to tell us what streets we're passing if we want it. So you'll be getting a lot of that with artificial intelligence. What I found fascinating was, of course, the since the cars will be dealing with artificial intelligence uh, in maneuvering, they had a woman who was crossing the street, the street in her wheelchair. And so the car would be able to tell that there was someone in a wheelchair crossing the street, except this woman was wheeling backwards. And so if the car with artificial intelligence thought she was going from left to right, she was actually going from right to left. Oops. Oops. Isn't that fascinating the, how artificial intelligence can help you a lot? It can get confused. So, yeah. yeah. It's so, not so there are limits to it. smart. 
Yeah, right. That well, is, that is yeah. fascinating. And I got to say, I'm a really brave, adventurous person, but it sounds a little scary. Scary, too. Now, the, the other question that I'll, that I'll add to, and then I'll hush up because I want to hear more about this data piece because I, I need to be smarter on that, is um, talking about paratransit systems and, and some of the um, uh, some of the enhancements that you can um, have in those systems. We went to a system with Uber, Lyft type vehicles, cabs, and all that kind of stuff um, in Washington, D.C., because we were finding that uh, those were going to cost what, um, the metro system here in Washington $20 a ride as opposed to a paratransit system that was $55, $60 a ride, you know, with the vehicle and after the drivers and scheduling and all this stuff. So the um, in order to putting those systems in place, it, it's great for individuals who want a separate ride in a sedan type vehicle, take me where I want to go. It's going to cost me, you know, five, ten dollars as opposed to, you know, whatever. But I can get there in half or half the time. And so think, systems like that are good for the um, the transit system. It's going to save them money. Uh, and it's great for this for the passenger. The problem now is, like in Washington D.C., the on-time performance went up to ninety-seven percent because nobody's riding paratransit anymore. <laughs> yeah. So there is no incentive for the paratransit system, who is taking like one tenth of the customers they used to, to save money. But when that times come back comes back and it's costing the paratransit system um, money, those kinds of systems will come back and. I think the way to argue for something like that is, you know, it's a win-win. It's a win for the passenger. On-time performance goes up, and it's costing you half of what it would if I was riding in a paratransit vehicle. Something to, th- something to think about. There are lots of cities that were doing it. Massachusetts, I think, Washington State had it. Uh, Washington, D.C. had it. We copied a lot of people. Yeah, we do it in Kansas City as yeah, and well. Kansas, yeah. Yeah, we have a, and and yeah, when we talk about yeah. saving money, um, are you talking about, because I know here, they mm-hmm. use for the old-fashioned paratransit share fare rides, these right. big old clunky Things. school yeah. bus van things. And yeah. they're such gas guzzlers. And it's, oh. and that's what you mean, right, Pat? Right. That, yeah. Okay. And so, you know, when you even when you put a person on there and you... And you have to go through and schedule the ride. Where's my ride? And on all this stuff, the driver, the vehicle, and all that. It, it generally runs the system about $55, $60 a trip. And so what you're offering when you go to some sedan, Uber, Lyft-like um, option is your on-demand taxi system, yeah. something in the $20 range, which means you're saving, you know, you're saving $35, $40 bucks a trip. Right off front, and you're and you're getting a better ride as the customer because better service, yeah. yeah. And they're and and they're getting saving forty bucks a trip. Yeah, it's a win-win, but it it doesn't work. <clears throat> at least it doesn't work in Washington now, since nobody is taking paratransit. Our on-time performance performance went up to ninety-seven percent, and um, uh, you know, there's no need for this. Uh, sedan type service, but it'll come back. But that's just a, a you know, for Bob, the, our first caller, um, he was up trying to figure out how can he argue for it. You'd argue 
perhaps to the people running the transit service based on on-time performance, better metrics, but mostly money. It's going to be cheaper, faster, and, uh, and their metrics will be better. Yeah, in Kansas City, it's a, a $10 fare, and the paratransit pays five for five miles, the first five miles. The customer pays five, and the government funding, the money from, you know, the FAST Act pays, you know, the other five. And then it the price does go up after that. It's $2 a mile after that. So if you have... Okay. If you have a seven, if you have a six-mile trip, the price is twelve dollars, and the paratransit yeah, still okay. pays five, and you pay seven. And if it were yeah. a, you know a mile more, it's two my two dollars more. So that's how it works here. But it's still a better deal than Uber and Lyft, and um, mm-hmm. it's yeah. worth it. And yeah. it's have a demand. lot more hands, lady. Okay. Go. okay, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, thank you, Felix and Becky. Yes. You're welcome, Pat. <laughs> Chris, you may unmute. Hello, everybody. Um, hope all of you are doing well. It's a great presentation. So I'm here. I'm here in California, in Los Angeles County. And do you honestly think that uh, we will switch to an Uber-like system where you can literally have an application where you order your uh, paratransit same day? I, I, I know we have like. Um, same day uh, service for COVID testing. And actually we just did a, we're doing a vaccine where we go to like Dodger stadium, for example, Uh, you still pay the normal prices or whatever it may be, but it's, you know, same day. But do you guys think that this system will, the change from fixed route buses to a more Uber uh, type system um, where again, you can order it on an app the same day that you want to go like, you said to the grocery store, for example, come back home or you want to go get something to eat or something or go out to eat, you know, and then come back home if that makes any sense or, or something That's like that. how it is here in Kansas City. And it really is up to your jurisdiction. Somebody has to care. The reason mm. why we have it here, and this is the truth, we have a guy who is a big county commissioner and pretty big in transportation He first lost vision in one eye and then he lost it in the other eye. And he became, you know, the CEO of the of the the entire transit system. Well, you better believe he cares. about. Do you see my point? The guy went blind. So, yeah. So that's why we have it. I I, there is no other reason reason than Robbie Mackinnon, you know, why we have it here in Kansas City. So uh, what I'm saying is there has to be incentive. You know, somebody in Congress, their son has to get AIDS before they care about AIDS. You really Mm. need. And that's why it's so important that we, you know, when we're speaking to our representatives and we want some of this stuff, whether it's in transportation, whether it's the Fitness for All Act, you've got to pull out the stops and tell your best story jaw-dropping story so they're really going to pay attention and do when i can only imagine in rural america you know they have nothing you know that's that's a huge issue and that's different and worse well and that and a lot of that transportation is is from county to county or major city quote unquote to major city um, and they're in different jurisdictions, and some, wow. you know, there's there are the federal standards, and and you know the things that are covered by the Data Act, but there are also the things that you can advocate for on the local level. Well, you know, there are no buses out there. Stories. 
So they don't mm-hmm. have to do anything because there are no yeah. buses. And but so, they so are you would allowed say go to, to do your, whatever they want and you tell stories. Tell right. You go to your them. local go meetings to your, for your cities, right? And and your just, local hey. transportation mm-hmm. advisory committee, your right. local, you know, whatever. Uh, one of one of my strategies. One of my strategies here locally is is to um, show up at a meeting looking a little sweaty and harried and get up to make a speech <laughs> and have my braille and have my guide dog and look pretty pretty dramatic and start off by saying, I want to know how many people in this room took a bus to this meeting like I did. That's mm. very effective. We've gotten a lot of stuff done here in Kansas City <laughs> with that strategy. That's great. And tell them yeah. about where you have to find a relief a relief area for your guide dog. You know, it's <laughs> it's very t- tough. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. well, so I mean, thank you, you very you, much, ladies. I appreciate yeah. it, though. <laughs> thank you for your question, Chris. Thank you. All right, Chris Bell. Oh, oh the other, the second, the other Chris. Okay, the expert Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hi, Chris. So, hi there. Hi, Chris. So good conversation. So I would like to put a put a, a framework on the discussion we've had so far. And the framework is that ADA paratransit is inherently limited <clears throat> and the chances of getting people to agree in the disability community to amend the ADA to fix it is virtually nil. And the reason for that is simply that uh, when you introduce legislation, you don't control what happens to it. And, uh, you know, you can start out with good language and end up getting screwed. So people aren't going to want to risk that. But the things that you all have been talking about with Uber and Lyft and other services, you know, legally what those are are uh, legislative attempts, legislative uh, programs at the state, county and, and local level. Um, and that's really where most transportation uh, is at in terms of authorizing it and funding it. I may pull down dollars from the U.S. Department of Transportation, but these are all local issues. So in many jurisdictions, like where I live now in uh, Chatham County, North Carolina, we have no bus system, but we do have door-to-door um, bus service, which is like paratransit, but it has nothing to do with disability. Any resident of Chatham County can call Chatham County Network and and get a, a you know, on four days' notice, albeit four or two days, you can request a ride to pick you up at your house and they drop you off wherever you want to go, door-to-door in Chatham County. That has nothing to do with the ADA. It's something that the county uh, established and paid for and gets some state money for. So that's the area that people who want better transportation, including in rural areas, need to focus on, uh, mostly uh, county uh, and local, because that's where it's going to happen if it's going to happen at all. Well, let me let me ask you then. We we have this. We have these specific um, requests in the Data Act, and I guess the only one that's really related to what you're talking about with with transportation is the introduction of the idea that we should be allowed to make one stop. And I believe the people who put this together, you know have researched the feasibility of this being agreed to are you saying that that this is that this particular piece of the data act that you see absolutely no no possibility no what i no, what, no, what that's I'm what saying, it sounded it, like you're saying no in in your example 
And there are lots of other examples. What you're doing is having a separate law. You're not offering an amendment to the Americans with Disabilities Act. You're offering a separate law that mandates a certain service. I'll give you another example. In the Affordable Care Act, there was a separate piece of legislation put in called non-discrimination in health care. And that uh, section of the Affordable Care Act incorporated by reference uh, remedies under the ADA and Section 504 and the Age Discrimination Act and Title VI and everything else. And it basically said all those laws now apply to health care and you can make a complaint under them. But it didn't amend those laws. It was a separate uh, legal authorization. And so that's the way to go. If you if you want to do something on the federal level, don't t- don't amend the ADA, do a separate law and then incorporate ADA remedies, et cetera. And that okay, well, yeah, we, that's what we've been talking about. It's a little confusing that you're saying we shouldn't do that, but because I don't think, you know, the, the data act isn't isn't saying to touch the ADA. I just want I know, everyone to I know. understand. I, mean, I, wasn't I want everyone talking to, about the data to be clear. Act. I was talking about I was talking about people that want to amend the ADA to improve paratransit. That's a non-starter. But a okay. separate law makes makes sense, whether it's at the federal level or state or local level. So the yeah, data- and a lot of these local transportation things are not uh, touching laws at all. They're just company decisions. And if we right. can talk them into it, they're doable. That's where it's local. And yeah. we've got a lot more hands. Okay. Go for it. Thanks, Chris. Yep. Lori, you may unmute. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. It didn't say unmute. I got nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I would just like to say that, um, you know, transportation is a very local issue as well as a federal issue. And a lot of times um, providers are providing, uh, you know, they may say, okay, we're going to do a pilot project. And this is when the community, meaning people with disabilities, people who are seniors, have to really work to make sure that that program gets the numbers that they want. In When I lived in New York, we had a program for people specifically with developmental disabilities, and it was very, very sad. It was a three-year program, and it would provide transportation to individuals with developmental disabilities anywhere within the county. Our paratransit was restricted to three quarters of a mile of a fixed route system. So it left out a lot of the county. And they wound up stopping the program two years in because they couldn't get people to use the service. And it was considered a pilot project. If they got good numbers out of that pilot project, they would have been able to continue funding it. They would have looked at it, expanding it to other disability groups. So that's one thing. If you know that something's out there and you know you have members that are eligible for it, you know, these programs really need to be used. The other thing is the Older Americans Act does have a section that relates to transportation. If you have members who are seniors and are eligible for transportation funding in your region under the Older Americans Act, please tell them to use it because those guidelines very often are different than paratransit and it's a very underutilized service. Yeah, we have have two-tiered paratransit here in Kansas City and it does incorporate the Older Americans um, legislation uh, considerations into it. 
yeah a lot of a lot of places it's it's totally separate um you know particularly in rural areas yeah um yeah. so thank well, that's you good. thanks Lori. yeah okay you have a 307 last three numbers of your phone you may unmute hi this is gene lozano from california hey gene hi and two just one general comment on what you've been talking about and that is um when it comes to the fares the people would be paying <clears throat> there should be looked at that people who for whatever reason do not have a smartphone cannot use a smartphone that they do not have to pay an additional surcharge like going through some other third party. So they pay the equivalent amount. Um, and that should be looked at so that you're not having to um, financially penalize somebody because either they can't afford to buy a, a, a smartphone or they can do not have the cognitive abilities or whatever to use one. I, um, now to switch to the, um, I want to kind of go back an issue that's occurring in California, and I believe elsewhere, and it has to do with more the traditional ADA paratransit service. As you know, there, um, of course, there's the paratransit large vehicles, and sometimes they have um, minivans, and when they're impacted, they have contractors who, like taxi companies, yellow cab, and they have a little sign goes on paratransit and they're recognized as a paratransit vehicle in those situations. The issue is the operation. In California, in our California vehicle code, it allows a, a paratransit vehicle to go into a bicycle lane um, and it can load and unload the passenger. Now there is the, and that's usually your typical what's called a class two bicycle lane where you have um, automobile traffic going from the middle of the street, automobile traffic, bicycle lane, and maybe on-street parking, then the sidewalk. Well, there's a class four that has come out in the last 10, 15 years uh, called a Segway, I mean, um, cycle track. And that is... Uh, called a what? Design. What did you... A, a what? cycle track. track. Cycle oh, track. cycle track. Okay. All yeah. right. Sorry. I just didn't okay. hear the word. <clears throat> yeah. And the cycle track, um, the, 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 that bicycle lane is up against the, um, the sidewalk curb and on the others, and it's separated from, the, from, uh, moving traffic by either on street parking. It could be, uh, landscaping. It could be a medium. Etc. Uh, the road delineators that, um, in other words, they're separated. And this provides less than the conflict between bicyclists and motorists. Well, it's being interpreted by your local Department of Transportation's um, uh, head uh, bicycle coordinators that a paratransit vehicle cannot go into those cycle tracks. And consultant teams are saying, uh, that are pushing for the cycle tracks for the bicycle community are saying, no, paratransit can't go into these areas because it, it could impact the safe movement of bicyclists just those few minutes that one of these vehicles would be in that bicycle lane to load or unload a person. And, you know, there are people who have physical limitations that really preclude them from using fixed routes, or if they do use the paratransit, they don't have the endurance to walk distances. 
Um, and there's individuals that maybe because of brain trauma um, have lost their sense of orientation and need that help to be close to um, where they're needing to go for their business. So when I, the point is this needs to be looked at in, if, in any form of a paratransit, the newer generation, that it is designated as paratransit, and people really need to be in close vicinity to where they need to be dropped off or picked up and can't, that there is a movement from the bicycle community to tell them, no, you can't be in that bicycle lane. Um, so that's going to impact people. Uh, the design of these cycle tracks, <clears throat> the single lane ones, because there's two-way ones, are not wide enough to take usually a motor, uh, a vehicle. And that has to be looked at as the design of those, the wide enough to accommodate these vehicles. Yeah. And, Sounds um, like complete streets issues. It does. I was thinking the same yeah, thing. it's well, it's it, the kind of thing that people are really going to have to put their heads together and and well, um, come up with something that's workable for everyone. Coexist. Well, yeah, yes, and and the thing is, the city of San Francisco's worked it out some, but it's piecemeal, and there is and there's a cultural attitude and somewhat in the bicycle community that. We have been too long impacted by automobiles, and we don't want anyone else in any way cut into what we're getting with these cycle trucks because they have the political clout. Um, so I well, think that really needs to be looked at and the fact where they can operate because we are, and I'll wrap up right now, um, and our, it's left up interpretation. Our vehicle code, our vehicle does not mention cycle tracks. It just it just simply says bicycle lanes that paratransit vehicles can operate in them, and yet the bicycle community is saying differently, and they're supporters. So, yeah, well, it. It, it has to be piecemeal in some senses until until society in general comes to an understanding of what's needed and what works best. Because I know that there are things that are in Washington, D.C. that we don't have in Kansas City. And I don't know if we have those same types of um, cycle tracks in, in Kansas City. I mean, I don't know that everybody has the do. same setups. And, uh, you yeah. know, we and just all of those aspects of complete streets. It's just when you look at different cities, it's not all like, you know, Lincoln Logs. It doesn't all match. And no, that's no, you know? wait, wait. Almost every community is getting these, and there are some standards for these. And it, it, and who who and would we check with? Minimally, minimally, this requires state legislation, but it actually would it needs to be federal across the country that you you cannot deny below where these vehicles operate because of the functional needs of people who are disabled or have okay, or that's, the point. that's the point. Thank you. Okay. Thank okay, you. Ladies, we have 10 minutes and you have six hands raised. Okay. <laughs> Nobody gets to talk as long I'm, as Dean. Go. I'm, not, I'm not sure you're going to get through them all, but no. um, Kathy no. Matthews, you may unmute. Thank you very much. Kathy, our new transportation committee member. Yes. Hopefully I, I, we're not scaring you. Welcome. No, no. Thank you very much. I'm so happy to be here and I'm learning a lot and I love it. Thank you for everyone. I just, I'm hoping this is a quick question. 
Um, I wonder if the interpretation of DOT regulatory 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 Tory, wrong, it. thank you is um, is a problem across states because Central Florida has um, paratransit in a tri-county area. We have a municipality of three counties, and they did try to include um, Uber and Lyft into the paratransit alternatives. And I was very interested in what Patrick was saying because they made us stop it. They said we weren't following the regulatory laws. And I believe it was FDOT that made links our, our paratransit municipality shut it down because they said that they weren't following all of the laws under the paratransit um, statute and that we could not use them and they made them quit using it because everybody I, I don't think there's a person that doesn't understand that it's cheaper it's faster yeah. it's more quality ride for the user but I was excited to hear other people are still doing it and don't, I don't know why Florida yeah that. I need to clarify uh, uh, I in Kansas City we are not using Uber and Lyft and there may be something statutory that I that isn't coming to my mind of why that isn't the case what we we are doing is Patrick was also talking about there are all kinds of contracts and we have a contract with um, Z trip which is owned by somebody else who owns a bunch of cabs around here and Z trip is the one who gets to do our paratransit trips so there may be something I know that they were trying to do Uber and Lyft up in Boston and maybe somewhere else and I don't know if the that's still was, the argument was safety I think they said yeah, Uber and Lyft that's... don't follow all the driver screenings and all the safety um, protocols. That's that are probably why, yeah. That's, yeah, probably why but the cab company states, is allowed. Other yeah. states are doing it. I mean, I, it, this is not enforced evenly. And I think that there's different people with different mobility and different issues. And some people need certain things and others don't. And there has to be some more flexibility and some common yeah. sense injected into this. And in Florida, it's just kind of, it just, seems so well did you like try did you try to talk them into contracting with a cab company which we have been doing for years and apparently not is not against the law yeah just the cab company yeah they had not. cabs as well but the, honestly the cabs quite aren't as quite aren't as responsive and they don't have the apps and a lot of people want the apps so that if you know, well, no, we do. Right? We have we have a special designated app called Ride KC Freedom, and and the cab drivers have been trained, and they have computers, and and they um, they know and punch certain buttons on their computers. Oh, you're you know they know if it's a Ride KC trip or a regular trip. Mm -hmm. I they do well, double. So it that's how it works here, and it's that, obviously that not against the law. Yeah, that would be a good thing to pursue. I just don't understand why some state, states have embraced it and made it work and some others haven't been able to. It just seems like we're not applying the statute evenly. And I just, it, it, it seems like with everything going on, you think we could at least get agreement on some of these things. But anyway, I, well, I know I'd be we happy. I'd be happy to help put somebody in your, um, somebody in your jurisdiction in touch or point them toward Kansas City and see if you can get a dialogue going, seeing if you can, can you know, 
make them want what the Joneses have, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Thank Kathy. You time, everybody. Yeah, thanks, Kathy. Next question. Oh, and, and the other Sheila, um, if she's in Florida, I'm president of Florida Council, so she can reach out to me. Uh, Michael, Thank you, you can unmute. Yes. Um, I think one of the issues in terms of using cabs and ride sharing um, and contracting with uh, paratransit, I think in, in, in some areas uh, there is pushback from the local transportation unions uh, that, that drive the tr traditional paratransit vehicles. Um, and, and they sometimes limit uh, what can be done with uh, with cabs and such. I know we've had that issue in, in our area. We haven't attempted a ride sharing pilot i mean we have ride sharing but we don't we have ride sharing and paratransit working together uh other than you know our, our bus comp our transit service regulates ride sharing new york city did try a pilot a ride sharing pilot with their paratransit system and it was discontinued and there was some protest about it uh, uh, i don't know whether it's been recontinued or not uh lori probably well, Sharf probably knows better know. about this than I do. Um, so, um, but I, I, I think that might be a reason why some areas are choosing not to do this is um, pushback from the unions. And, and by the way, what is a cycle track? Is that the same thing as a, as a, a, a bicycle a pathway? It's similar. Yes. What's the difference? I, I, well, I'm not really sure other than that. It's more specifically designed. Okay. It's not just it's not just a regular lane on the street. It's a track that's specifically designed for bikes to use along the side of the street. Okay, it, it might be narrower than an actual lane, take up less space. And, and Kansas City now has streetcars, right? As well, we have a streetcar. We yeah, have a yeah, two like mile a line. Cities. We're going to get a little bit more streetcar, and they're very proud of it. And it doesn't really help. I mean, it's it's a downtown fancy, yeah, it's a very yeah, yeah. sexy, beautiful, touristy thing. Yeah, like Cincinnati and other places. I know. <laughs> All right, thanks, Michael. You're welcome. Good Thank to hear you. Your voice again. It's Becky, from formerly Becky. from New York. Indeed, I remember. Yes. yes. Thank you. All right, your next caller has last three six three eight. You may unmute. Area code five zero five. Yes. This is Beth from New Mexico. So uh, you were talking about different jurisdictions and different, like New Mexico has 32 counties and uh, most of it, it's one of the most rural states that there are. And um, there's a lot of the little rural uh, municipalities are, that are fighting get, getting transit of any kind. And so it, it really, Yes, in this in this county they have it, and um, what happened in the next county they ran out of funding, so this county had to take it over. So in the had to take you know that other county's uh, transit thing over. So what happened like during COVID, we were uh, the first part of it. We were shut down for like twelve weeks, and um, nobody could get to even the fixed route buses were were shut down. Nobody could get anywhere. They don't have cabs or ride sharing or any of that here. I don't. Do you have horses? Say lack of funding. Horses, yeah. <laughs> Do you have horses? <laughs> Bicycles, yeah. Oh my gosh, it's, it's tough. And I feel for you guys. It really yeah. Is. 
That is, and we're one of usually one of the last states to receive anything. The big cities do, like Albuquerque and Las Cruces, but not the um, not the little rural communities. But you have beauty and nature. You have you have enchantment. Yeah. And the yeah. air smells good. No, we really feel for you. We and, do. It's and you know it's it's more extreme yeah, than some have. states, but a lot of people are dealing with that same very same. And it's uh, sort of like where you have so few resources. You know, how do you begin? How do you get anything? You know, some people have done some pretty creative things with getting uh, volunteers together to offer rides. There's like a lot of software out there now. I've heard of um, a couple of um, enterprises that, what's that in Georgia, uh, they they put together something that was going pretty well before the pandemic, and they they had had um they they incorporated this huge real estate company and they got all those people as volunteers and they had software and they really grew a little you know a a, a pretty um hefty service yeah yes and also like the man was saying a while ago there's not a lot of, there's some people that do have smartphones and some people that don't and um a lot of seniors yeah. don't know how to use them or or can't afford them for some reason. Yeah. Well, we have to make sure that whenever there is an option and that's we do this in Kansas City, you can you can order if you're getting the same day service, you can do it on a smartphone app, but otherwise you call the same old-fashioned number people have been calling mm-hmm. forever for share fare and you can book a taxi or book the regular old share affair that's less expensive that you have to book 24 hours in advance. We have, we still have all those options. Sheila and Becky, you have one minute left. All right. <laughs> Take you. it away, Becky. Thank you, Beth. <laughs> Thank you, Beth. And, Thank you, and everybody. good luck. Good luck with that. You know what? We, we have calls scheduled for to mobility and beyond every fourth Thursday. So the next one will be on March 25th. Um, but if you have further questions, you can contact advocacy at acb.org um, or, you know, just if whatever, you know, whatever we can do to try to, to help you resolve things or give you ideas. Hopefully everybody that has the opportunity will get a chance to meet with their congressperson and talk about the data act and the other two that, the um, the Medicare Act and the Exercise and Fitness for All Act. Those are really important things for all of us. So thank you all for being on this call. Thanks, co-host Sheila. It's always thank fun you, to Becky. work with you. And thanks, Sheila Young and Debbie Hazelton, for your hard work. Thank you all it. so much. Have a wonderful evening. You too. Bye. I hear the cricket.